Welcome to WMNF. You're listening to 88.5 FM. You might be listening on WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan. The two main topics on the show today are related. Our first guest will be from the Suncoast Sierra Club. We're going to talk about an upcoming vote in Pinellas County about whether that county should transition to 100% renewable energy. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about a new report on how green jobs impacts the economy. And before I begin, I want to thank everyone who donated during the final on-air membership drive of 2021. There is still time to support important public interest programming in your community. You can make a donation by calling 813-238-8001, or you can donate on our secure website, which is wmnf.org. Well, next Tuesday, the Pinellas Board of County Commissioners will vote on a clean energy future. And here's what the vote they'll vote on. It says a resolution of Pinellas County, Florida, targeting a transition to 100% renewable, zero emission clean energy for county operations by 2040 and countywide by 2050. If Pinellas joins what's called the Ready for 100 campaign, it would become one of only about a dozen counties in the U.S. that have countywide commitments. Several cities in Pinellas have already committed to a 100% clean energy future. They are St. Petersburg, Largo, Dunedin, and Safety Harbor. And there are about 15 such cities across the country. Joining us now in the studio, I think I had that number wrong. It's not 15, it's larger than that. And and our guest will correct me. Joining us now in the studio to talk about Pinellas County and Ready for 100 is Brian Beckman, chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee. Welcome to WMF, Brian. Thank you, Sean. So how many cities in the country are part of this 100% clean energy future, roughly? Yes, difficult for me to stay on top of the current number because it changes, but it's well over 180. I Thank you. I probably left out a digit there, so I, I appreciate you correcting me. So tell us, what is Ready for 100? Yeah, so it's a national campaign that started, uh, I don't know, a good five years ago or so. And here in Pinellas, we embrace that starting with St. Pete. You mentioned the four different cities. They were the first ones here, actually in the state and one of the first across the country. And it's based on the idea that cities should and uh, can lead a national transition to clean energy. Um, And why clean energy? Um, To address the rise in temperature, sea level uh, rise, and other climate change impacts. Um, those are affecting us, as we all know. We see that more and more now, nowadays in the news, on TV, and, and firsthand. And this really gets at the heart of that, to uh, address it at the source, not just on cleaning things up from a resiliency standpoint, which is important, but addressing the cause. So how does a city transition to a 100% renewable energy? What does it look like? And maybe you can start by saying about how much would a typical city or county have in renewables now and how does it switch to 100% renewables? Yeah, so um, as you uh, introduce this here, usually the cities, and in this case the county, um, incorporate two goals, one for their operations and one for their uh, public at large, which they uh, serve. And so usually what we see is those cities address their operations first. That's the easiest thing for them to have direct control of. Um, and they do that through three pathways, essentially, through energy efficiencies. And that's, you know, installing more energy efficient equipment. It is also... Um, partnering with really smart companies that help them drive down their consumption. A quick example of that, for instance, with the Pinellas uh, schools, 
where they employed a third party to come in and drove down their electrical consumption by over 25%. Um, and, uh, and then purchasing renewables, um, or, or I'm sorry, installing them. That means installing solar basically here in Florida. And then purchasing the remainder of the balance um, from your utility provider in renewable form. And that has already started um, that, was it last year, cities in the uh, Duke territory, I'm talking about uh, now that includes Pinellas, they were able to buy a portion of their electricity to be uh, 100% renewable solar. And I think that figure is about 40% of their operations. And then lastly, again, when it comes to the uh, businesses, nonprofits, churches, residents, um, that is usually a longer-term goal. Um, by 2050 is what many of the cities do. And that's through a myriad of other solutions that really get at those same three pathways. Um, Dunedin's an example where they um, put forward incentives for um, residents to be able to in, uh, install solar, getting a so many cents off per watt for installing solar, solar. So there's a number of different things like that that help achieve that. So what's the advantage of a city like Dunedin or a, Pinellas, or a county like Pinellas going toward 100% renewable? It sounds like there's a lot of work that has to be done in order to get there. So what's, what's the purpose of it? Yeah, so um, the, one of the big reasons why cities so far in Pinellas have adopted those kind of goals is that they aren't just aspirational um, and only from a climate change perspective, you know, uh, there might have been cities that were interested in doing that years before, but it has become advantageous uh, from a dollar standpoint to do that. Technologies are available that allow you to save a lot of money. Um, the uh, solar prices in particular, again, those are most uh, applicable here in Florida, they have dropped significantly. Um, I think it's like 80 or 90% they've dropped in costs over the last 10 years or so. So most, whether you're a homeowner or whether you're a business or a city, you're able to save a lot of money. And the same is true for implementing efficiencies. That example that I gave with the Pinellas County Schools, um, that involved no infrastructure uh, upgrades um, that uh, involved extreme monitoring um, of all the different uses of electricity and um, implementing uh, best practices. And um, they drove down that consumption by a quarter. Um, so all those options are on the table to be able to save money and at the same time, you're uh, reducing your impact on the environment. So I just heard you tell me that the, that the county could, for example, the schools could save money by in, in instituting some of these changes. Whereas uh, I guess the traditional take on energy, if, um, going to more renewable energy and, and becoming more energy efficient is that it's going to cost too much. People say, oh, it's so expensive to take in, to, to transition to cleaner energies. But you're saying that these are things that are going to actually save the, in this case, the school district money. 
Yeah. I, again, I've mentioned the three pathways, whether it's energy efficiencies, buying your installing your own versus purchasing the remainder from utility. Those first two uh, lanes, I guess I'll call them, those are the ones where you can really save money. Even in the third one, in the case of uh, what Duke has as a solar energy connection program, I think, they offer over an extended period of time the ability to save money as well. Um, but not as much as if you take actions yourself. Um, and that all translates uh, to uh, a down all, uh, all the way again to a, a personal or homeowner level. So I have a home, for instance, that I installed solar on. I in- implemented a number of energy efficiencies before I installed solar. And so now I produce as much energy as I consume. So um, that saves me a lot of money. I only pay... I think it's like $13 a month or something like that for uh, energy. And that includes fueling my cars, both of my cars as well. So those are all in total. I think personally, I save um, about two to $3,000 a year in my electricity and my fuel for my vehicles. And I don't mean to um, dwell too much on your personal experience, but since you do have ex- personal experience in this and people are very interested in solar on their homes and so forth, you're, if you're saving two or three thousand dollars a year, how in how many years then would you have paid off your your investment? Yeah, for solar, um, uh, it it's on the order of seven to eight years now. Um, if depending upon your situation, if you pay a lot for electricity, meaning hey, maybe I go over a thousand kilowatt per month mark, which means I pay at a higher rate, at least in the territory that I'm in. You can get that money back even a little bit faster. Um, but around seven to eight years, if you are able to take a, a, a tax credit, if you're, a, for instance, a, a nonprofit or a municipality, it extends out a little bit longer. It's a little bit more like 10 years or so. And the life of the panels um, is between 25 and 30 years. And it's not like they just go up in flames at that time. It's just that that's what they're warranted to from a performance perspective. So you're putting money in your pocket after that seventh or eighth year. That's right. So our guest is Brian Beckman, chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. It's 1016 in the morning. My name is Sean Canan. We're talking about a vote that's going to happen next Tuesday in Pinellas County. The Pinellas Board of County Commissioners will vote on a clean energy future, a, a resolution targeting a transition to 100% renewable, zero emission clean energy for county operations by 2040 and countywide by 2050. This is called the Ready for 100 campaign and other cities and counties around the country have done this. Later on in the show, we're going to find out how focusing on clean energy actually creates jobs. So, but tell us about Pinellas County. What do you anticipate if, if Pinellas does join this Ready for 100? How will that impact jobs in the county? Yeah, in a very much positive way. Um, you know, we think about it this way. When I mentioned about installing solar, obviously there's a lot more solar companies now than what there were five years ago locally. Um, it's difficult to keep track of those about how many that are either exist here in the Tampa Bay area or even across the state or nationally that are available to us. And those all take uh, jobs to install that solar. There's jobs for sales, there's jobs for design, and then there's the jobs for installation of actually 
coming to a location and uh, putting it up on a roof if that's where it goes, et cetera. Um, and there's uh, electrical-related jobs uh, that get involved with that, sometimes roofing-related jobs that uh, uh, get tied to that as well. And then when it comes to the energy efficiency, that uh, really casts a wide net as well. Um, so when transitioning to uh, more efficient appliances, take like a hot water heater. I have a, uh, a hot water heater that's called a uh, hybrid um, and that uses heat pump technology. But at the end of the day, that's a plumber and or an electrician that comes in and executes that. Um, and all so many technologies are available now to um, make things more efficient in your home, let alone in a municipality or a business. And uh, that takes people to do that. And I want to talk now about the possibility of this happening. What, you know, what's the chances that this vote will be one that you want that in, the, in your favor? Two years ago, uh, several Democrats won narrow majorities on the Pinellas County Board of Commission. So uh, tell us about how, how likely this is to pass, what you've heard from some of the commissioners, and, and uh, who are the ones that you're still trying to convince? Yeah, we're, we're, we're feeling very positive. I mean, uh, again, based upon our experience with our Ready for 100 cities in Pinellas, there is a mixture of, uh, you know, if you look at it from a party standpoint, a great mixture across those cities. And one of the key, um, I guess, component to those successes, again, has been the financial uh, aspect. And um, I think there's also been over the last handful of years more and more of a recognition of the impacts of climate change. You see this um, time and time again when things end up getting approved from a construction standpoint, they are taking into account what the projected sea level rise um, will be. And that's just a serious recognition of what the uh, impacts of climate change are. So um, this is not you know, really a controversial uh, topic. It's just um, getting confidence to see a pathway to your questions earlier for reaching those goals and having enough confidence that they um, will be able to do that. And again, the technologies have continued to improve. Those examples of are ready for 100 cities in Pinellas as well as across the state have really shown the leadership to be able to bring a number of cities together already through sustainability coordinators, directors, et cetera, to learn from each other. And that permeates back to, in this case, the county, that they gain that confidence. Our guest is Brian Beckman, chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canan, and we're talking about a vote next Tuesday by the Pinellas Board of County Commissioners to vote on a clean energy future targeting to a transition to 100% renewable, zero emission clean energy for county operations by 2040 and countywide by 2050. So you mentioned sea level rise just a minute ago. Remind people, especially people in Pinellas, or even if they don't live in Pinellas, some, anywhere in the Tampa Bay area, the West Central Florida area, what are the concerns about sea level rise and how does that tie into renewable energy? Yeah, so... Uh one, if people haven't done this already, you can go out to Pinellas's uh, website and Google up uh, Pinellas sea level maps. Um, 
And you can see how vulnerable the county is because it's a peninsula, um, not only around, you know, our beaches, but up into waterways, low-lying areas, et cetera. And um, I think the figures that I saw were one to two, uh, projected one to two feet of sea level rise by the year 2050, and it continues to accelerate um, beyond that based upon the path that we're currently uh, projected to be. Um, and so renewable energy has a direct impact on that. As soon as we um, cut emissions, um, and we have been cutting emissions, to be sure here in the United States from an electricity standpoint, much less so on things like transportation, although that is now um, uh, starting to go the right way from an electric vehicle perspective. But even when we transition to electric vehicles, it pushes even more dependency on having our grid clean so that we are um, producing that electricity not from fossil fuels, but from uh, clean renewable energy. Our guest is Brian Beckman, chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee. We've gotten two emails or text messages about solar panels. So I don't know if you if you feel comfortable about answering either of these questions. But um, Charles in Tampa writes, if your guest factored in his savings on gasoline, his solar power system would likely pay for itself in less than half the time he quoted. Great show. Thank you. So that's from Charles in Tampa. And also uh, Randall writes, would you recommend a specific company to call about potential solar panels? And if not, how much should we expect to pay for solar for a 2,000 square foot house using around 50 kilowatt hours per day? Those are some pretty specific questions, but what would you say about those? Yeah, so um, I'll answer, the, I guess, the second one uh, first in that I tend to tell people that you should pay between $2 and $2.25 per watt when you purchase uh, solar on your home. So I'll use my home as an example. Now I have about a 2,000 square foot townhome. Um, so different than a single family home, uh, to be sure. Um, and I have a five kilowatt system. Um, and so my total cost was, um, when I purchased it, about $12,000 before the tax incentives. Um, I think a more typical size installation for that square foot of a home and that kind of bill is probably about a seven or eight kilowatt system that would cost, you know, let's say uh, $15,000 or so. But that dollar per watt is the key factor um, to uh, when you have an installer that you're talking to. I, I wouldn't be able to recommend here, probably not proper for me to do that uh, with particular installers, but really that that dollar per watt is the important factor. Um, and you should be, and then the other thing is to really get competitive bids. You know, when I got mine, went back and forth like three or four different times uh, uh, between different installers and drove that price down quite a bit. And they can also look into the solar co-op, which um, they're oftentimes having any in different parts of this region. There's the Florida Solar, solar Co-op. I'm, I'm at a loss for the exact name. Solar United Neighbors is who's the one that usually comes to us. Uh, in Pinellas, we had one earlier this year. Um, and that figure that I used, I think, uh, I think that people were paying like maybe $2.15 a watt. Well, Brian Beckman is chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee. As we let you go, remind people how they can find out more about next week's vote on the Pinellas County Commission. 
Yeah. So you can go to suncoastsierra.org. We've got information out there. People can you know, write their commissioner. They can join us there on November 2nd, which uh, is going to be basically us at the uh, Florida Botanical Gardens there in Largo. Where no, they have November 9th, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry. Today's the 2nd. A week from today, the 9th. Thank you. Um, and that's at 2 o'clock. So, um, yeah, we're really asking at people to let their commissioners know that they really uh, appreciate their support in voting for the resolution. Well, Brian Beckman, the chair of the Suncoast Sierra Club's executive committee, thank you so much for joining us on WMNF. Thank you. The Pinellas County Commission will vote on Ready for 100 next Tuesday, November 9th. We're going to hear a short music break right now, and then we'll be back with our guests to talk about green jobs in the economy. Stay with us on WMNF Tampa. Listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM, a little new parquet quartz. Welcome back. We continue our discussion now about clean energy alternatives, and we focus now on green jobs. And joining us by Zoom is Bob Keefe. He's executive director of E2, that's Environmental Entrepreneurs. Welcome to WMNF, Bob. Hey, thank you for being and Thank you for letting me be here with you. I'm really glad you could join us. So tell us, first of all, what is your company, Environmental Entrepreneurs? Well, it's not a company. We're a, a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan environmental group. Uh, E2 is a national organization of about 11,000 business people, uh, investors, and others across the economy uh, who work or do business in every single state in the country uh, and also realize that the economy and the environment aren't at odds but, but depend on each other. And so we work to pass smart uh, uh, policies that can create jobs, drive economic growth, and help our environment all across the country. And that's a topic that's really in the news, and so we'll get to that during this segment. Of course, yeah. um, I don't know, you, you probably didn't get to hear our the first part of our program, but we were just talking about a, a local Pinellas County Commission vote next week about p- potentially becoming a 100% renewable community. And so how would that impact jobs in Pinellas County or, or anywhere else that decides to go 100% clean? Well, it would impact it in a very good way, Sean. I mean, you know, E2's been around for about 20 years. We have worked on clean energy policies all around the country. And what we found is this, and and we also track clean energy jobs all around the country. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that and what it means to Tampa Bay. But what we know is this, the states and the regions that have the best clean energy policies create the most clean energy jobs. Uh, And yes, it's the places like California where uh, almost a half a million people work in clean energy now, but it's also a place like North Carolina, uh, which has the first and uh, the only renewable energy standard in the state. It's also uh, home to about 100,000 clean energy jobs. Uh, Florida is about number four, I think, right now in clean energy jobs. But given that it's the sunshine state, given that energy efficiency is so important to that state, given that there are so many people that drive cars that could be electric vehicles and electric vehicle charging stations, 
to to power those cars, we can create a lot more jobs in Pinellas and Hillsboro and all across uh, Florida. Our guest is Bob Keefe, Executive Director of E2, that's Environmental Entrepreneurs. It's 1030 in the morning and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. So, Bob, I'd like to look at two major items in the news concerning clean energy, and you can let listeners know uh, where these things stand when it comes to clean jobs. Congress right now is negotiating one of the largest U.S. investments ever in clean energy. So uh, I'll read a little bit from the AP here. President Biden is seeking to whip up climate change fighting efforts abroad at a time when his own climate legislation at home is again in limbo. Biden is at the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow for a second and final day today. He's going, he's promoting global efforts to preserve forests and curb methane leaks before flying home to Washington. But Biden's climate efforts on the global stage are playing out as Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has again raised doubts about Biden's social spending package, including $555 billion in climate provisions. So, Bob, wh- how would how does that legislation impact green jobs? Well, thanks for that. So, in, in Congress right now, there are actually two bills that, um, that are pushing forward clean energy provisions. One is the president's Build Back Better Act. Uh, now that, as as we know, as it stands right now, is about $550 billion in investments in clean energy. And what does that look like? That's tax incentives for more solar and more wind. It's tax breaks for people who buy electric vehicles. But it's also uh, a, the biggest amount in spending in clean energy we've ever seen in this country. Um, it's $40 billion, for instance, to the Department of Energy for grants and loan guarantee programs to help clean energy companies in Florida and all across the country get up and running. Uh, it's $3 billion to help rural co-ops, places like I, I used to live in Tampa Bay and was a member of the Withlacoochee River Electric Co-op up in northern uh, North Tampa Bay in Pasco and, and Hernando counties. $3 billion for rural electric co-ops like that to bring on more storage, battery storage, uh, so they can store renewable energy and use it during the night when the sun's not shining. Um, it's it's a whole host of uh, other tax and uh, uh, rebates for consumers for everything from high efficiency uh, uh, clothes dryers and air conditioning HVAC units to electric bicycles and two-wheeled electric vehicles uh, that are reducing emissions uh, with every ride to the local grocery store or wherever you want, or down to the beach. So that's the that's one piece of the legislation that Congress is debating right now. The other piece is the Infrastructure Act, Sean. Uh, it's the Infrastructure Bill, and that, of course, uh, uh, includes about. Uh, almost a, or a trillion dollars worth of investments in things like roads and bridges and hardening uh, places like Bayshore Boulevard and and the bridges across Tampa Bay. Uh, but it also includes $65 billion for, for grid modernization and upgrading. So Florida, for instance, may not have to face the type of uh, deep freeze disaster that we saw in Texas earlier this year. Uh, and it'll also upgrade those grids, by the way, to move more clean energy from solar farms in the middle of the state uh, and hopefully eventually wind, uh, offshore wind off of our coasts and things like that. So those are the two bills that are being debated in Congress. Uh, quite coincidentally, I was with uh, Congresswoman Kathy Castor yesterday, uh, uh, who represents Tampa, of course, and also is the chair of the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. 
And she is very confident that this is going to go through. And, and, and a lot of people in, in Washington are confident that it's going to go through. And it's because, Sean, of the jobs that can be created with this. It's because of the economic opportunities that are going to be playing out all across the country, including in Florida. Um, you know, we had th this again would be the biggest investment ever in clean energy. The second and big, the, the biggest investment to date in clean energy uh, was back in 2009 with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Uh, then we invested $90 billion into clean energy, the biggest investment ever uh, by the U.S. government. What did we get out of that? Well, we weatherized about a million homes, made them more efficient so they're not leaking uh, hot air in the, uh, in the winter or cold air in the summer. We launched about 100,000 clean energy projects across the country. We invested uh, as a country in about 500 uh, startup clean energy companies and clean vehicle companies, including, by the way, a little company called Tesla, which now uh, is the one of the uh, uh, biggest companies in terms of market capitalization in the world. Uh, and by the way, we created about 3 million jobs uh, all across America in every single state. So that was $90 billion back in 2009. What we're talking about now is, is, is investing six times that amount into clean energy. So that quite naturally is going to create jobs in Florida and every other state in this country. Our guest is Bob Keith. He's executive director of E2. That's Environmental Entrepreneurs. It's 1035 in the morning and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. If you'd like to join this conversation, you can call in at 813-239-9663. You can also email questions to dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. So we mentioned the two major bills in Congress that are happening right now that could really impact jobs and clean jobs. But what about the International Climate Summit that's going on right now in Scotland? What's at stake? Well, what's at stake, quite frankly, is the planet. <laughs> uh, the, the climate conference, the COP26 conference in Glasgow right now is, uh, as uh, the UN Secretary has said, is, is perhaps the last best chance we have to blunt climate change uh, enough that it doesn't uh, continue to create and, and increase the number of natural disasters that we have uh, around the world. It's also the opportunity to, Sean, to, to um, transform our economy uh, and create a lot of jobs, not just in the United States, but all around the globe. Uh, the decisions that will come out of COP will filter down to countries. And every country right now is there making its commitments. President Biden in America has said that uh, we commit to reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52 percent by 2030, uh, which is incredibly important. Uh, now we need to bring other countries. Now we need to make that happen, first of all, through things like the Build Back Better Act and the infrastructure package that we just talked about that are pending in Congress. But we also need to bring other countries along uh as well because obviously global warming is a global thing and we need to make sure that we are supporting other countries and that they're doing the right thing as well our guest is bob keith with e2 and he, they've put out a, a new report a new analysis that shows that america's more than three million clean energy jobs are nearly evenly split across republican and democratic congressional districts 
Broken down by party affiliation, that's about 1.6 million, which is about 54% are in congressional districts currently represented by Democrats and 1.4 million are represented by Republicans in Congress. Earlier, you mentioned Tampa area member of Congress, Kathy Castor. Well, this her Tampa area district employs more than 7,000 clean energy workers, your report found. Castor's the chair of the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. So I'll let you respond in just a second, but it, you sent us a, a quote from Representative Castor. Yeah. who represents uh, quite a few of our listeners. She said, expanding clean energy gives us an opportunity to create millions of good-paying jobs across America, which is why we're focused in Congress on passing the single largest investment in clean energy and climate in our nation's history. Making these investments now will be crucial for future generations. So there are 7,000 clean energy workers in T- Kathy Castor's district. The other districts nearby have you know, roughly the same uh, number, you, one would guess. What mm-hmm. can you tell? Why is this important to have clean energy jobs uh, supported by the American people, especially through federal legislation? Well, the big takeaway here, Sean, is that, look, the these investments in clean energy that we're talking about through the Build Back Better Act, through the infrastructure package, what we know now is that these will benefit clean energy workers and create clean energy jobs for hundreds of thousands of more workers in every single part of the country, in every single part of the state of Florida, regardless of politics, geography, or geology. These are jobs that aren't limited to where oil reserves are or where coal happens to be. They aren't limited to particular states or regions. And as our new report shows that you can find at cleanjobsamerica.e2.org, they also are not red state jobs. They're not blue state jobs. These are red, white, and blue jobs. And there are a lot of them. As mentioned, there are more than 3 million people that work in renewable energy, energy efficiency, clean vehicles, grid modernization all across the country. Of the 435 congressional districts in America, 432 of them have at least 1,000 of these jobs, Sean. And in Florida, what does that look like? In Florida, there are 150,000 people that work in clean energy in every congressional district. And yes, you mentioned uh, Congresswoman Castor, uh, uh, a fantastic leader on climate for Tampa Bay and for Florida and for the country. Her district has about 7,000 people who work in clean energy. Across the Bay, Congressman uh, Chris, Florida 13, uh, that has about 4,500 uh, clean energy jobs. Those are both Democrats, but let's look up north. Let's look to uh, Representative uh, Bill Rackus's district, Florida 12. Uh, he's a Republican. He's got about 6,500 jobs uh, in his district, about the same as uh, Congresswoman Castor. And then across the state, the biggest state for clean energy jobs in the districts in, in the in the state is around Palm Beach County, where Republican Brian Mast has about 15,000 jobs in Florida uh, Congressional District 18. So uh, when we look across the country, this is what we see as well. It's not just Florida, it's every state. Um, by density, the the top 10 districts for clean energy jobs uh, across the country are evenly split. Five are Republican districts, five are Democrat districts. Yes, the the two biggest districts, congressional districts for clean energy jobs happen to be in California, but number three, number four are Republican districts in Texas and Utah. So, you know, the real takeaway here, Sean, is that uh, as Congress considers the Build Back Better plan, as Congress considers the infrastructure plan, uh, as we look at what we're committing in Glasgow this week, 
uh, committing to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 50 to 52% by 2030. The takeaway is that any lawmaker who votes against clean energy investments, who votes against climate action, is voting against their constituents and voting against those jobs and those future jobs. Our guest is Bob Keefe. He is executive director of Environmental Entrepreneurs. It's also called E2. And you're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. It's 1042 in the morning. And Bob, I've gotten a few emails and text messages. I'm going to read them uh Eventually, I'll read all of them. But right now, I'm going to focus on two that are actually critical of what you're saying because I'd like to, right. for you to respond. One, and they're both from the area code 813, both of them unsigned, unfortunately. If you do text us, please sign, sign your name and tell us where you're calling from. So this first one says, capitalist economy demands infinite gro- growth from a finite planet. Capitalism is an ecocidal system which destroys what life necessitates in the pursuit of false necessities. So that's one criticism of, of what you're saying. And the other has to do with um, something that Greta Thunberg said a few weeks ago, um, where she was criticizing leaders for not taking action quickly enough and just focusing on all these buzzwords that uh, that things like green jobs. And she said, mm. blah, blah, blah. And so this this um, texter from the 813 area code says, is quoting Greta and sh- says, blah, blah, blah. So how would you respond to, to these uh, criticisms? Well, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they're critical of there, Sean, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is climate change is now an economic issue, uh, period. Uh, it's no longer a, just a social issue. It's no longer just an environmental issue. It's an economic issue. And if you don't believe that, look what happened last year across America. We had $100 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters, everything from Hurricane Ida up the East Coast to uh, nonstop wildfires on the West Coast to uh, drought and flooding in the middle of the country in the nation's heartland. That's starting to add up. $100 billion is a lot of money. Uh, So that's the economic cost of climate change. And it's growing by the day. Already this year, uh, in 2021, we've surpassed that $100 billion uh, in climate-related disasters. 20 years ago, that number was something like uh, $15 billion or or, uh, $50 billion, rather. Uh, in economic damage. This this damage is adding up and it's a f- impacting every single taxpayer in America that has to pay for this. Uh, so it is an economic cost to our country. The good news is there's economic benefits to taking action of it. The economic benefits are these 3 million jobs in solar and wind and energy efficiency and clean vehicles that we're producing all around the country. Uh, it's it's jobs and, and uh, the transformation of things like our uh, auto industry that's at the core of America. Uh, every single car maker right now is is moving toward electric vehicles. And that's just not jobs in Detroit uh, or in the central part of the country, although there are mighty uh, quite a few of them being built there. But look at where Ford's building its new F-150 electric truck uh, and the batteries that go in it. It's in Kentucky. It's in Tennessee. General Motors is doing the same. These are bringing jobs uh, across America and creating thousands of jobs. And that's just in the vehicle industry. If you look at what's happening with solar, if you look at what hap- what's happening with wind, and if the state of Florida had some better energy policies, we'd create a lot more jobs in that state as well. 
Our guest is Bob Keefe with E2, that's Environmental Entrepreneurs, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. Bob, I think I have you scheduled till about now. Any chance you can go with us uh, to, for a few more minutes? I'd love to. Okay, well, why don't we we keep you on the line then? Uh, I have an email here uh, from Jeff who says, the idea of clean slash renewable energy growth sounds exciting. Are there any websites you recommend listing jobs that are available or training or certifications people can get into the field? Great question. Uh, There are a ton of um, uh, organizations that do things like job postings and job listings. Uh, I would look to um, SIA, which is the Solar uh, Energy Industry Association, uh, which uh, I believe has job boards listing jobs and ways to get into solar energy. Uh, I think there's an energy efficiency alliance there in Tampa Bay and in Florida. Those are great places to start. Um, but uh, we, we also need to get these policies passed so we can continue to create these jobs. Our guest is Bob Keefe, Executive Director of E2, Environmental Entrepreneurs. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. And Bob, in your reports, you recommend certain things uh, to, I guess, to leaders for better, more clean jobs. You want Congress to enhance clean energy tax incentives. How would that help? Well, that would help because it dramatically reduces the costs of putting solar on your roof uh, or building wind turbines. Uh, offshore or in places where the wind where the wind blows, basically. Uh, it also incentivizes the purchase of, again, energy-efficient appliances for all of our homes. Uh, it incentivizes the purchase of electric vehicles. Uh, uh, so there, there are carrots and there are sticks when it comes to policy. The carrots are things like incentives that push people to uh, buy products that actually uh, and make them more affordable that actually help our environment and our economy instead of uh, continuing to put it into something like oil and gas, which hurts our environment, our economy, and our health. Um, uh, and and then there are the sticks, which are regulatory uh, uh, steps that lawmakers can take either at the state level or the federal level to make sure that companies are doing the right thing. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. I'm Sean Canaan. My guest is Bob Keefe, Executive Director of Environmental Entrepreneurs, E2. You can call in your question or comment to 813-239-9663. You can also email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. Please sign your name if you do. Uh, if you do text us, and I have an email here, it's from David, and he's commenting on something we heard last hour on the show, on, on the previous show, Democracy Now!, and maybe you can comment uh, with based on this description. He says, I love that animated dinosaur presentation voiced by Jack Black from the G20 Climate Summit. I hope that <laughs> dinosaur will appear in other media soon. The climate crisis folks need something funny slash serious to, like this to get folks' attention. Also, I hope the dang Trumpsters will wake up from their Trump fog and start taking the climate crisis seriously. That's the email that came from David. So, Bob, does that ring a bell to you, that, that dinosaur voice? Well, it doesn't, but I'm going to have to check it out now. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah, so the, the, it was 
I, I just listened to it casually a, yeah. an hour ago, but I I'll, I can relay it a little bit. I think the dinosaur was saying things like, you know, we we should invest in uh, not we should stop investing in asteroids, uh, <laughs> and and is kind of an analogy to today where we're investing in fossil fuels and we should and and they're going to kill us and so. That's the analogy, but it was done obviously a lot more humorously than I've just described it. So I will try to find that audio pretty soon and maybe try to play that. But um, thanks for bringing that up, David. And uh, so our guest is Bob Keefe. And he said, I'd like to ask you this, Bob, if Congress enacted a smart national clean energy standard, how would that impact the climate and the economy? And, And what is a smart national clean energy standard? Well, there actually was a smart national clean energy standard that was a part of the Build Back Better Act, but um, uh, it got removed recently uh, at the at the hands of uh, the senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, uh, and that would have th- that was called the uh, Clean Energy um, uh, Performance Program, which would have essentially incentivized big utilities, TECO, others to shift away from dirty energy, from coal, from gas, uh, and shift to cleaner energy, solar, wind, et cetera. Uh, And it would have eventually penalized um, utilities for not doing that because of the economic costs that they're they're causing for for all the rest of us. Uh, Unfortunately, that package did, or that that provision did not uh, survive or has not survived the Build Back Better Act, at least so far. And frankly, we don't think it's going to survive that. But but the thing to remember is that the, the economics of climate change are still working, whether uh, lawmakers like it or not. And the fact of the matter is solar and wind are now about the cheapest power you can get anywhere. It's cheaper than coal. It's in a lot of places cheaper than natural gas. So utilities, in fact, are uh, shifting more frequently to renewable energy anyway, to power the power plants that gets the power to our homes, our offices, and our businesses across the state. Um, One prime example of that is NextEra on the other side of the state in Florida. Now, NextEra, frankly, uh, has a lot of work to do on bringing more renewables into Florida, but around the rest of the country, uh, they are a leader in renewable energy. And why is that? It's because it's the cheapest power that they can get uh, from wind, from solar, um, and it's the cheap and it's the cleanest power they can get as well. So, yes, a, a national clean energy standard would have been fantastic. It still would be fantastic. It's something that we should still pursue uh, because we know based on the 30 or so states around the country that have state clean energy standards, they work. Um, But at the same token, uh, as clean energy continues to get cheaper and more readily available, we're going to see utilities shifting to that regardless. Our guest is Bob Keefe, Executive Director of E2 Environmental Entrepreneurs. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. Let me just play a few seconds of this dinosaur animation that that people heard at the the cop. I won't play the whole thing, but here's just a little bit of it. That's 100% a real dinosaur. More than a little. Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. At least we had an asteroid. What's your excuse? Okay, okay. So it's a dinosaur essentially um, lecturing uh, the the people at the COP 
<laughs> saying that we should stop investing in asteroids. We should maybe have a sm- smarter way of doing things. So um, didn't get you as know, much I, of this. It, Go ahead. It, it's, it's fun. I did not hear that. I did hear an interview with the uh, energy minister of Denmark, which might sound a little boring, but he was actually pretty darn good. Uh, and he had a great analogy for his country. A hundred years ago, uh, uh, Denmark, around, along with the, a lot of the rest of the world, were still just shifting from horses, uh, for instance, to vehicles. And his analogy, or what, what he said was at the time, the uh, queen was considering, uh, do I continue to be drawn in my horse-drawn coach with uh, all of the gilded uh, accoutrements that it has, and, or, or do, I, do I change to one of these vehicles uh, and have a limousine? And apparently there was a big uprising then about what's going to happen to all of the people who work in horses. Uh, what's going to happen to the guy that drives the coach? What's going to happen to the library that takes care of those, those horses? Uh, and eventually the, the queen decided to go with uh, a, a modern day vehicle back then, 100 plus years ago. Uh, and what happened to the guy that drives the coach? He got, a, he got a driver's license and he started driving the queen around. So what we're seeing in, in energy as well, I think, Sean, is this transition that's been a long time coming, a hundred years coming, but it's clearly upon us now. Uh, and we need to do everything we can to make sure that the people that are being left behind by that transition uh, find jobs in the new clean energy economy. And let's not forget that we're talking about the energy economy and there's no better uh, worker to go and um, uh, continue to grow this clean energy economy than the energy workers of the last century. So, uh, for instance, in the Build Back Better Act, we, we are very supportive of a number of workforce training programs that would be included as part of that package uh, that would help transition communities that are being impacted by coal companies that are already shutting down, not because the government's shutting them down, but because coal is getting too expensive when compared to wind and solar. Uh, It would help those oil and gas workers who are climbing up rigs in Texas or uh, uh, off the coast of New Orleans, uh, figure out how to put up uh, wind turbines uh, off the coast uh, or or wind turbines in the middle of the country. So the, the transition is always tough. Transition is always tricky. But uh, it, it, also, it also almost is uh, always uh, good in the long term when it comes to creating jobs, driving growth. Bob Keith is, is executive director of E2 Environmental Entrepreneurs, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. We have an email question here. It comes in from Bob in uh, the Tampa area. It says, renewable energy is supposed to replace conventional energy. Have we seen a reduction of conventional energy that's in proportion to the additional renewable energy, or has this just supplemented the current energy production? That's a question from Bob. That, well, that's a great question. Uh, and, and the answer is yes, renewable energy is uh, increasing all around the country and displacing dirty energy uh, all around the country. Uh, it, it's, is it just adding to what we're already using? The answer is not really. 
because uh, the other part of clean energy is energy efficiency. And we have seen so many innovations in, in, in energy efficiency, especially in recent years, that it's keeping the amount of energy that people are using, uh, in a lot of cases, at, at, at a level basis. Um, you know, when I, when I lived in, I lived in Florida, I lived in the Tampa Bay area for about 10 years and, uh, I owned two houses while I was there and both of them had the old jealousy crank out windows that leaked air conditioning all during the summer and heat all during the winter. And, uh, that, that wastes a lot of, of energy. Energy efficiency is replacing those old, old jealousy windows with ones that uh, are triple pane, for instance. Uh, that is as simple as that. It's as simple as putting insulation in your homes. It's also uh, replacing uh, old incandescent light bulbs with LED light bulbs, something that uh, a few people were fretting about a while, a few years back, but now is commonplace. You can't go to a Home Depot or a Lowe's and look in the light bulb aisle and not find a bunch of LED uh, efficient bulbs that uh, are better than old bulbs that waste 90% of the energy that they use. So uh, energy efficiency is the other key part of the clean energy puzzle. And fortunately, through things like the Build Back Better Act, um, through some of the state policies that we're seeing all around the country, energy efficiency is improving as well. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on WMNF. Bob, where can people find more information about your reports? Absolutely. Well, you can go to uh, e2.org to, to find all of our information. But specifically, if you want to find out how many clean energy jobs are in your neighborhood, in your zip code, in your congressional district, uh, because it's important, go to cleanjobsamerica.e2.org and you can uh, search for every part of the country. Well, thanks so much. Bob Keefe is executive director of E2, Environmental Entrepreneurs. They recently published a Clean Jobs America report. I also want to thank Barbara Fling for answering our phones today. I'm Sean Canan. Coming up next is Janelle Irwin in her new time, 11 o'clock on Tuesday mornings with her show, The Scoop. And this morning, Janelle will be interviewing St. Pete mayoral frontrunner Ken Welch. That's coming up in about six minutes after NPR News headlines. And hey, I hope you tune in tomorrow morning from six o'clock until nine o'clock in the morning when I'll be substituting for Sam and spinning some music. I'm going to play a ton of newly released music and a bunch of your old favorites. That's tomorrow morning from six until nine. See you again next Tuesday at 10 for the interview show. You're listening to WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening to WMNF.